Welcome to the HCC Podcast. Our mission is to nurture love for God, love for self, and love for others as the highest goal of humanity. May the following message nurture that love in your life. And remember, you're always welcome at HCC. It's a perfect church for less than perfect people. Peace. I want to talk to you today about the word of the word of the Lord related to promising to give something that you don't actually possess. Have you ever done that? Promising to give something that you don't actually possess. Now, I know a thing or two about this because I've done this before. Let me share with you uh, an early childhood experience for me promising something that I didn't actually give. I've shared this story a couple times in different venues, and so if you've heard it before, be patient, but it, it relates today. When I was in first grade, I was desperately in love with a girl named Josie. Now, I later found out that I thought that this girl, Josie, was my present wife, LaDon. LaDon is in this service today, so I'm required to say it. Anyway, so I was, I was, I was loving uh, this girl named Josie. I was so enamored with her, and I would go home every day and talk to my family about this girl named Josie, you know, in, in my first grade class, and they got so sick of hearing it. Finally, my grandfather said, well, why don't you just tell her you're, you're in love with her and stop telling us? And so I decided that I would write her a note. And so I spent the weekend crafting in my best handwriting, which was very painstaking, in my best handwriting. And I told her, Josie, I love you with everything that's within me. And if you will love me and we will be together forever, I will one day give you a million dollars. Later on, I realized I should never do that. Because my wife, if I had done that, she might be calling my bluff. <laughs> but but so, so I, I promised that. And I went to school that day on Monday. And I volunteered for the cleanup crew. And that meant I had to crawl around the floor and pick up all the little pieces of paper. And people, other people did other things. But I did that strategically so I could get by her desk. And I folded up the note and I put it in her desk. And I crawled back to my desk. And it was all over. We all went back to our seats. And so when she went back to her seat, I was nervous, so nervous, and my heart was pounding. And she got to her seat, and she reached inside, and she pulled out this strange note, and she opened it up and looked at it. And I was expecting a flush of red and a glow to come over her face, and her to look at me, and me to look at her, and it would be forever. And she kind of got a scowl, stood up, folded it back, walked all the way up to the teacher, handed the note to the teacher. The teacher opened the note, got a scowl on her face, looked up, said, Mr. Hall! And in front of the whole group, I stood up, perhaps expecting to have the teacher declare our love for one another. But I stood up and she berated me for intruding on this little girl's life and talking about giving her money for love and as if love could be purchased and she berated me, berated me, berated me in front of the whole group and told me to sit down and never do that again. I never did it again. When you promise something that you probably can't give, maybe you do need to be berated. I'm not sure it was really appropriate for that teacher, but I was at that time. Think about our wedding vows. Wedding vows are promises to give the best of us to our spouse. But we often are so worn out after giving ourselves away to everyone and everything else 
that we barely have the worst of us to hardly give our spouse. It's leftovers, if you will. Think about parenting. Parenting is an unspoken vow to give your child the best of you throughout their childhood. It's unspoken, but, but it's true. We, we mean it, but we're often so worn out. We're often so worn out with all kinds of things that relate to them. They're coaching them and, and PTA engagements and cookie baking and Girl Scout clubs and Boy Scouts and r- running them all over creation for sports and clubs and friends and etc. that we end up being their managers and not the mentors of their soul that we dream of being because we're so tired from all that other frenetic activity. In fact, when we parent, we do this little illustration. When we, when we have parents come up for their dedication service, they bring their child with them, and we, pre, we challenge the parents to dedicate themselves to 936 weeks of influence. That's how many marbles are in here. 936 weeks of influence represented by these marbles. And they go quick, don't they? Pretty soon... These are all the marbles of influence we've spent, and these are the marbles we have left. And we're just letting the rest go. And we can't even remember how we spent these because it goes so quick. They're just like they're poured, they're dumped out, they're they're dumped over into this promising something we just don't have. Why is it that we don't have the best of us to give to the most important people in our lives? Even God. Does God get the best of us? I'm suggesting today that the reason that we don't have the best of us to give whom we consider our besties is because we live in sin. It's because we live in sin. What are you saying? Living in sin? I'm not living in sin. I'm saying my hunch is you're living in sin. And let me tell you why. I'm suggesting that we, us, you, me, are living continually in sin. Sin is a word from the Bible that just simply means missing the mark. We're just not actually engaging the point, the focus, the, the meaning. We're not, we're not satisfying generally or, or the principles of the word of God. Now, I don't think anybody in here is murdering people consistently. I don't think anybody in here is lying all the time. I'm not talking about living in the sin of murder, living in the sin of lying all the time. I'm not talking about living in the sin of committing adultery, worshiping other gods, dishonoring our parents, plotting to steal our neighbor's spouse and stuff every week. I mean, many Christian knows where I'm getting that information from, you know. But chances are that we are living in sin because we are consistently, weakly breaking the fourth commandment. Let's look at it. Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 12. Observe the Sabbath by keeping it holy as the Lord your God has commanded you. You have six days each week for your ordinary work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest dedicated to the Lord your God. On that day, no one in your household may do any work. This includes you, your sons and daughters, your male and female servants, your oxen, your donkeys, your other livestock, your your dog, your cat, your goldfish, and any foreigner living among you. 
all your male and female servants must rest as you do. Remember that you were once slaves in Egypt, but the Lord your God brought you out with his strong hand and his powerful arm. That is why the Lord your God has commanded you to rest on the Sabbath day. Remember, Egypt was a symbol of the bondage of sin and slavery to the sinful nature that we have. Moses was a type of Jesus that broke the, the people of God free and gave them an opportunity to move into the promised land. Jesus is a type of Moses breaking us free from the Egypt of our sinful nature and ultimately leading us to the promised land. It's, it's the parallel. The Sabbath is critical for you to exercise and live out your salvation because it is a remembrance of where you were. A weekly remembrance of where you were. And lots of people will say, well, this is what we're doing right now. This is Sabbath. No, 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 no. Going to church on Sunday is not the end all and the be all of Sabbath. It might be a part of Sabbath, but it is not Sabbath. Sabbath in the Old Testament and the New Testament, the way Jesus understood it, is much, much bigger, much, much more expansive, much, much more involved and deeper than a, than a little bit of activity on Sunday morning where you kind of drop into church and then you spend the rest of the day, the whole eight, another eight hours of the day, watching football or engaging in some other activity that maybe paying bills or maybe doing laundry or whatever. It might be. Sabbath is so much more than that. And we often live in sin because we don't know how to Sabbath. People generally have two attitudes toward this command of Sabbath rest, a legalistic commandment or a liberal commandment, either a tight understanding of it or a loosey-goosey understanding of it. The legalists say that if you don't keep Sabbath exactly like Moses told you to keep the Sabbath, you're in trouble, you're never going to go to heaven, God's going to punish you. The liberal folks on the other side say, nah, it doesn't matter, it doesn't mean anything. It's just an old commandment, it doesn't really matter anything. Oh, really, that kind of old commandment doesn't really mean anything. You mean like lying? You mean like adultery? Oh, I didn't know all that was out and we could just do all that anytime we wanted to. But we tend to think like that. Oh, I don't lie. I don't commit adultery. I don't worship other gods. I try to honor my parents. Sabbath? What's Sabbath? But yet Sabbath is the central commandment to the Decalogue, which is the Ten Commandments. And Sabbath, the fourth commandment, is the largest and the most comprehensive but yet we consider it something to be discarded completely and totally. The biblical attitude towards Sabbath is, is by Jesus is articulated in Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2, Jesus says these words when he was criticized for how he was keeping and his disciples were keeping the Sabbath. And he says this, Then Jesus said to them, The Sabbath was made to meet the needs of the people and not people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. Sabbath is not just a bunch of rules for you to follow so God will be happy. God wants to be happy because you're happy. And you can't be truly satisfied unless you are Sabbathing in a way that he calls you to Sabbath. So Jesus, the scripture says, is even Lord over all the Sabbath both eternally and daily. The Lord of the eternal Sabbath and the weekly Sabbath. That same Lord invites you to rest weekly in Him. The fourth commandment, keeping a weekly Sabbath, is a key to your soul health. It's essential. 
so you can give the best of yourself to God and all those people that you love. But you're only going to be able to do it if you Sabbath. So knowing that Sabbath is not just a Jewish thing, but it's a human thing. It's a Christian thing. What is Sabbath? Sabbath is this. Sabbath is a period of weekly rhythmic rest that you prepare for and protect. A period where no paid or unpaid work is engaged. So you work for six days, paid or unpaid, then you rest from earthly work, paid or unpaid, to enjoy heavenly rest, for the body and the soul. What are some examples of unpaid work? Laundry. Parenting? <laughs> okay. Dishes. Grocery shopping. Say it again. Cleaning. Cooking. Why is it mostly women? I don't know what that's got to say. Changing your oil, thank you. Some woman said changing your oil. What a slacker man she's got, you know, I don't know. Anyway, I'm, I'm categorizing genders. So, so, you know, we got this paid and unpaid work that we do. Oftentimes we think Sabbath is maybe we take a day off. To do what? To do all the unpaid work that we have built up over time. That's not Sabbath. The great Hebrew scholar, I love this guy, he's a wonderful Hasidic Jew, Abraham Heschel, he is an incredible scholar of scripture. He said this, Sabbath is a sanctuary in time. Sabbath is a sanctuary in time. Sabbath is not a day off from paid work to do all the unpaid work that we've been neglecting. Sabbath is not a vacation every once in a while. Once a year, twice a year, where we end up more tired because of all the activity and we need a vacation when we come back from the vacation. That's, that's not Sabbath. But what does that actually look like? What is Sabbath? You have to decide what Sabbath looks like between you and the Lord. What is restful, restorative to your soul and your body? It may be sleeping all day. It may be actively walking or engaging in some activity. It may be something else. It may be playing games. It may be doing nothing. It may be, I don't know what it might be. Maybe it may be involve cooking. It may not involve cooking. I'm not sure. You and the Lord have to work that through as to what Sabbath looks like. Is it independent of anyone else? Is it with other people? Is it with one other person, three other people? What's it like? What is Sabbath for you? Let me give you some guiding principles. Let's take a look at the screen. Five S's of sacred Sabbath. Let's go to the first one. I've shared these with you before, but I'm bringing it up again the first of the year because they're so critical. Let's look at supply. Supply. In advance, supply the Sabbath with everything you need to make it rich. We got that, Jessica? For some reason, no, we don't have that. Okay, we'll keep working with it, and if we get to it, we'll get to it. Supply. You might have it in your app. I'm not sure, but check in your app as well. Supply. In advance, supply the Sabbath with everything you need to make it rich. Now, if you're a real Jew, you know, you're going to stop on Friday at 1 o'clock. 
That's not because Sabbath starts then. You're going to stop as a Jew on Friday at 1 o'clock in order to prepare for Sabbath. Sabbath is in a Jewish way, in a Jewish history way, is from Friday sundown to Saturday sundown. So 1 o'clock on Friday, that's it. It's all over. They start preparing for Sabbath. They cook meals. They get food. I uh, had somebody recently say, I'm not Jewish. I credit card on Sabbath. So what does that mean? Uber Eats. DoorDash. Yeah, it's just the credit card. That's Sabbath food for me. So you supply in advance for your Sabbath with everything you need. Secondly, you stop. You stop. Cease all paid and unpaid work. Sabbath is a special day, a special, sacred, holy day unlike any other day. Sabbath is not like a day off where you change your oil. Unless, of course, that's restorative for your soul, maybe. I don't know. But, you know, so it's not like that. Sabbath is special. It's holy. It's sacred. It's very, very different than the other six days. Finally, you settle. After the hard stop of work, you front load your Sabbath with exercises that give you permission to settle all your insecurities about work and trust for God. Because what we, why we don't Sabbath is often because we're worried about work. We're worried if we don't answer those emails, it's going to back up, and now we're going to have to do more work on Monday, so we got to keep ahead of it so we can never rest. We always got to keep going. We got to keep answering those texts. And if we don't return those posts, then somebody might be mad at us because we didn't respond to those posts. And if we don't pay that bill or get that scheduled, you know, then we're... And what is that? That's us not trusting God. Sabbath is saying, Lord, my work is yours. Lord, I work for you. I don't work for man. I work for you. So, Lord, my work is yours. I'll deal with the emails later. I'll deal with the internet later, posts later. Uh, I'm just doing you today, Lord. You settle. You give yourself permission to trust God. What's next? Savor. Soak in only beauty, joy, peace, love, fun. Really savor only the good things. This comes from Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and what is honorable and what is right and what is pure and what is lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. So don't watch the news. Don't turn on talk radio. Don't necessarily pick up a newspaper. You know, you want to get rid of all those things that are not beautiful and not lovely and not encouraging and not rich and not joyful. You want to get rid of all of that. Why would you want to engage Facebook and all the negative ranting and raving that often is on there? Why would you want to do that? Only engage things that are lovely and joyful and eternal and beautiful and that. And then finally, we synchronize. We synchronize. We recognize that seeking to gain the world will distance your soul from God, the giver of life. Repent and synchronize your heart with God's love for you and his sovereignty and his providence. Maybe you want to reflect on scripture uh, during your Sabbath. Maybe you want to reflect on Proverbs 3.5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do and he will show you which paths to take. 
This is an opportunity to, to just synchronize your soul. Get a few hours, a couple hours, where you're just with the Lord and you're praying, you're talking to God, and you're reading scripture, and you're filling your soul with these things that synchronize us to the fact that God not only loves us, he likes us. Isn't that amazing? He not only loves us, he likes us. The five S's of sacred Sabbath, supply, stop, settle, savor, synchronize. Without a real and regular Jesus sense of Sabbath, we won't have the best of us to give to God or to anyone else that we love. And let me say this another way. I'm going to say it another way because if you're not Sabbathing, you're not going to get where you need to go. You cannot imagine, you cannot claim spiritual maturity and remain emotionally immature. You cannot pretend to be spiritually mature and remain emotionally immature. Those two things are incompatible. We've got, there are plenty of people that have been Christians for 40, 50 years. And they would, in leadership positions, they, even, they would even consider themselves highly spiritually mature, but yet emotionally immature. They're still hurt over all the same things they've always been hurt over. They're still upset the way they're always upset. They're still frustrated, they're still ranting, they're still raving, they can't handle their anger, they're hypersensitive, they're super easily offended, all these things, and, and, but yet they, they consider themselves spiritually mature. Spiritually maturity does not coexist with emotional immaturity. They're actually spiritually immature too. Because it's, it's taking time to sit in Sabbath and open yourself to the Lord and pray as David prayed, Lord, show me, is there any wrong way in me? Is there anything that displeases you? Lord, speak to me. Give me the impetus to be able to move forward with that, to grow in that. And then we, ourselves, as we lead God's church, then we emotionally grow in our maturity as we spiritually mature as well. The child of God who Sabbaths regularly as their Father in heaven commands them to Sabbath has the best chance to mature spiritually and emotionally. When you Sabbath regularly, you will keep a rich reservoir of love for God Love for self and love for others available to give away. The child of God who Sabbaths learns to be confident in God their father, their parent, their creator, their shepherd, and then they know they have all they need. Way, way too many Christians are, in, are incredibly in bondage with fear and anxiety. Sitting in Sabbath, reflecting on God's strength and goodness gives us perspective. It helps us take the eye off of the mountain of troubles in front of us and lifts up our eyes and we fix our gaze on God who is the only one who can chop down the mountain and throw it into the sea. This is weekly Sabbath. Listen to Jesus, how he describes people who engage this kind of experience. Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. Are you tired and worn out? Can I get a witness? Are you tired and worn out, but burned out? Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. 
to walk with me and work with me, to watch how I do it, to learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you will learn to live easily and lightly. Is that how you describe your life? Easy and light? Is that how people describe you? Easy and light? How is it that we can consider ourselves spiritually mature, yet we are, are heavy and anxious and fearful and frustrated and, and pensive and uh, and yet Jesus has called us to this kind of yoke, to this kind of burden. When we are burdened with fear and loathing and anxiety and pressure, something's wrong. When we can't describe ourselves this way, something's wrong. Jesus has a gift for you, and it's rest. And if you don't practice it regularly, you won't know how to do it. Eternal rest, he promises, yes, but also rest for the right now, the right here, so you can give away the richness of your soul to those in whom you love so much, including God. Stop. Rest. Stop running to gain the whole world and losing touch with your own soul. Weekly Sabbath will synchronize your soul with your Savior, but it will never happen unless we stop living in sin, unless we stop breaking the fourth commandment. Say no to the press of culture and yes to the rest in Christ. Say no to the press of culture and yes to rest in Christ. C.S. Lewis is famous for making this quote. I love how he says this. He quotes it and says this and it'll blow your mind like it did mine. Only lazy people are busy. What? Only, I thought... Popular people, important people were busy. I like to tell people how busy I am. In fact, research, empirical research, if you want the articles, they're in, the, they're in your app or you can get, get it from me, but indicate that we as a culture so, so cherish our busyness. As a Western culture, we are so dedicated to our busyness that we, we revel in it. Hey, man, how you doing? Man, busy. Gosh, man, it's crazy busy. We say that all the time as if I am so awesome. And God is saying, I'm not impressed. Only lazy people are busy. Lewis goes on to say that they're lazy because they don't know how to rest. And, 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 and when they don't know how to rest, they're busy and not productive for God. He said this because he knew that people are so worn out from busyness. It's because the Pharaoh of culture the pharaoh of culture is calling them to more and more and more and more and more work and busyness do you remember in exodus chapter 5 when moses was asking pharaoh to let his people go so they could worship god so they could rest in god so they could sabbath he's saying let my people let let these people go and pharaoh says no i'm not letting you go you don't you don't need you don't need freedom to rest you need to work harder. You're lazy people. You need to work harder. The more you work hard, the, the better off you'll be. You'll we'll finally make you into real human beings that work hard. Modern culture is today's Pharaoh shaming us into busyness. Where we got to keep scrolling and keep swiping and keep on apps and keep going and keep running and keep gunning. This is Antichrist. According to the passage that we read in Matthew, 
We're, 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 we're supposed to be living as light and easy people. This is in contrast to all of the people that are living heavy and burdened and busy. Where our soul is heavy and burdened, something's wrong. Keeping the Sabbath is an antidote to heavy and busy living. It's the cure to bring us to light and easy living. Not that our circumstances will change, not that the world events will change, but we will be able to live at peace in the midst of the storm because we're Sabbath people. So how does one keep Sabbath holy? First, you plan to. You plan intentionally to keep Sabbath holy. We make plans for everything. What do we make plans for? Yell it out. Come on. Vacation, parties, careers, eating. Excellent. Retiring. Excellent. We make plans for everything, but we don't have a plan for our soul. So I've been begging you to do this for weeks now, for years now. So there's a slide on the screen that's got the, uh, the link to the uh, Soul Health Plan. It's a worksheet. It's a fillable PDF. It's got all the instructions on it, lots of resources. I'm challenging you by February 2nd to make your Soul Health Plan. Why? Because we're going to share them in here. You know how we typically do our annual spike the ball service where we have microphones and people stand up and they testify about what the Lord's done in their life? I'm asking you to be prophetic that day. I'm asking you to exercise the gift of temporary prophecy where you stand up and say, me, me and the Lord met and this is what the Lord would like me to do and be in 2020. And we're gonna share little bits and pieces of it. We'll take one little section or uh, the, the whole overarching thing. You're gonna go and you're gonna make a, a soul health plan by February 2nd and then we're gonna stand up in here and we're gonna celebrate each other and challenge each other and, and encourage each other in our soul health plans. We've got marriages, married couples that are making soul health plans for their marriage. We've got small groups that are making soul health plans for their small group, as in, even as individuals. It's going all over the place. I want you to have it on February 7th so that we share this about what the Lord's gonna to do with us in 2020 now I need to address a couple common resistances and I'm wrapping up here a couple common resistance to Sabbath well because some like it fast they like life fast they like life busy they like life active and the problem is Sabbath is slow that's a problem true Sabbath is slow, but also it's not wrong to like fast. It's not wrong to like fast. In fact, if you like fast and you like active days with lots of variety going from one thing to the next and you can't imagine a day of just flopping down in the presence of the Lord, remember, God's given you six days to run yourself ragged. He's given you six whole days to wear yourself out, jumping from one thing to the next, to the next, to the next, to the next, to the next. And I know we often value fast, but you cannot ignore the fact that God values slow. And if we're going to get Sabbath, we just have to get slow. One day a week. God values active, productive lifestyles. He spent six days being very busy, jumping from one thing to the next, a lot of creativity, a lot of production, and then he stopped. He also values slow. Where 
your soul in that slowness where your soul can slow down enough to hear the voice of God. Slow enough to hear the voice of God. Without the swipes, without the scrolls, without the voicemails, without the inundating emails, without the loud TV going all the time and radio, just you're getting yourself quiet for some time during Sabbath in order to be able to hear the voice of the Lord. Now, that's one resistance to Sabbath. The second resistance that I'd like to bring up for Sabbath is that because of the life stage that a person is in, such as those with young children. What do you do when God gives the fourth commandment to dual-income professionals with little kids? He, somebody over here got that going on? <laughs> Sounds like a first. He commands you to Sabbath as well. You don't get out of it. He doesn't say, all except for parents of young parents with little kids, everybody else Sabbath. He doesn't say that. He says everybody. But how? How do you do this? Quickly, I want to go through these slides. Now, you might not be able to see it very well, but I want, you to, I want to read through it with you. Sabbath for young families. This is just a creative thing. Imagination that it might work for you. It might not. You might want to tailor it. Do something different. Set your Sabbath from sundown Saturday to sundown Sunday. Next, supply, prep, prep for your family Sabbath on Saturday. Get all of your brownie mix early before sundown on Saturday so you can make them on Sunday. Next, stop. From sundown Saturday to sundown Sunday, abandon all paid and unpaid work Stop all activities that drains energy or divert your family away from re restorative rest. And this may be saying no to soccer. It may be saying no to the tournament or the travel team. It may be saying no to the club. It may be saying no to the birthday party. It may be saying no to this activity or that activity or whatever it might be. It may be saying no. And as a parent, be the parent. Culture doesn't dictate. The pharaoh of culture doesn't dictate what you do. You dictate what you do. So if you want to carve out a sacred Sabbath for your family, you're going to carve it out, and that means you're going to have to say no to some things. Let's go to the next. Settle. Give yourself Saturday evening to downshift, disconnect mentally, emotionally from everything that drains or diverts, like paid or unpaid work, activity, actively trusting God to have your back, and go to bed early to the best of your ability. Par parents, parents with young children, Benadryl. Okay, moving on. <laughs> Sabbath for young families. All right. Savor. When you wake Sunday morning, prepare for worship with soul music. So, music that fills your house with joy and worship. Worship. Eat prepared comfort food and plan to spend the afternoon with each other, not with the NFL. Not with Facebook or Instagram. Not everybody going to their own room and doing their own thing. But prepare to be together. Cooking brownies, playing games, taking a nature walk, watching a movie that engages everybody. Savor the presence of God and the presence of each other. Next. Synchronize. Each spouse take the kids for two-hour segments during the day, allowing the other to slip off and be alone with God. Now, 
some parents right now are thinking, how can I turn that into four? If I can turn that into four hours, it'd be great. That might include curling up with a good devotional while dad's got the kids, the, the mom goes and gets in a good devotional, or maybe dad needs to take a prayer walk and mom's going to keep the kids for a little bit. Calling soul friends to chat about how good God is, not about all kinds of trouble and problems and difficulties, just about good stuff. Just flop down in God's presence for two hours or an hour and just rest and be with God alone. God not only loves you, God likes you. Sink your soul with how precious you are to God. Maybe today you need Sabbath for your soul rest, but maybe even today there's a rest more basic that you need. And the rest you need that's more basic is that you know your life is in conflict with God right now. Before you get to this rhythmic weekly Sabbath rest that's commandment keeping and all that, maybe what you really need is just to get right with God. In fact, that's what Jesus came to do. To offer you rest for your soul so that you and God can be reconciled. Maybe you and God are living divorced right now. Maybe you and God are living separate from one another. Maybe you're living without God. And you know the first thing you need to do is get that straight first. Where you Sabbath with God in your soul. Today is that day when you get it right with God. And what does that look like? That looks like you telling Jesus, Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you did come to give me eternal rest for my soul both now and all of eternity. And I've been living without you. I've been in conflict with you. I've been antagonistic towards you. I've been rejecting of you. But today, I'm open. I welcome you. Receive me. Maybe that's you. Would you stand with me? Today, we have this beautiful opportunity to be able to respond to God. Now, maybe you're here today and you're thinking, I, I just need to connect with someone. I just want to pray with someone. Joan's down here. She'll be happy to pray with you. Maybe you're like, I, I need someone to pray with me about Sabbath, I, I, someone about rest. I'm, I'm anxious. I'm fearful, whatever. I need to pray with somebody. They're here for you. Maybe you're here and I say, I want to celebrate. I want to thank God for a job that he's given me. I want to pray with somebody. Richard's here. Felicia's here. Bob's over here with communion. If you want to just come up and share in communion. This is all response. Because whenever God's word was declared in scripture, there was always some kind of response. Either yes, Lord, or no, God, I'm not doing it. I'm rejecting you. And maybe it's been a matter of I'm, I'm expecting to build an altar, to worship. No matter what it is, you are always expected to be responding to the word of God. So we've got people that are in the back that will be happy to pray with you. We've got uh, an elder up in the balcony to my left, your right, if you'd like to receive communion or have prayer. We've got people that are in these positions that are happy to do that with you. So right now, we are a soul family. Maybe engage somebody in your soul family. And let's pray, let's worship, let's sing, let's respond, church. <laughs>